The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. And if you're familiar with Mark, you'll notice that we're going to finally finish chapter 1. I can't help it that his, his chapters are longer uh, than what I'm used to. Um, but we're going, the title of tonight's Bible study is Hope for the Hopeless. I don't know if you do this very often. I do from time to time. I remember what it was like before I came to Christ. I remember the emotions, and, and, and this particular guy that you're looking at up here, I know he's not much to look at, but he, I dealt a lot with fear. I would venture to say that most of my life, I dealt with life motivated by fear. And probably the biggest thing I remember, um, 22 years old, so 44 years ago, I'm 66, I get the senior discount at Denny's, yeah, I order off the back, yeah. I know you're jealous. But I just remember a young man who was tormented by fear and anxiety. I didn't have words for it then, but that's what drove my life. And so I found hope in Jesus. He certainly changed my life. You know, our takeaway, and, and this really comes from the book of Ruth, as I was looking at our Bible study tonight, but our takeaway is that God is able and willing to redeem you. God is both able, that is, as God, he is able to to come into your life, listen, come into your life and save you, redeem you. Now, you might be thinking, well, Danny, that's from sin. Absolutely, but he doesn't only save us from sin. As a matter of fact, when the Holy Spirit is given to the believer, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he begins to change and transform our nature and our character to become more like Jesus. Let me be the first to tell you it's a long process maybe even lifelong. But Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6 that on that day, you will be complete. You will be completed in Christ Jesus because of the work that he started and completed in you. So God is able and willing to redeem you. And I think that's one of the things that people struggle with. Is God willing to save me? For my sins, absolutely, but is God willing to be in my life, working in me? And some of you would even say working through you. God is able and willing to redeem you. Matthew and Luke's Gospels, they, why they both include the healing of the leper. As a matter of fact, Luke, who's a doctor, describes the man that we're going to look at tonight as being covered covered in leprosy. We are very much Western individuals who benefit from technology and from medicine. I think in ways that we would never imagine, unless we lived in a country or among a people who were vulnerable to disease. I would venture to say, I know myself, I would venture to say that if we were in this pre- the presence of this man prior to Christ healing him, we would be troubled. We would be traumatized at seeing his suffering, at seeing his hopelessness and his inability to help himself. One of the things that's important to know about disease is that, it, that's, that many times people are victims to disease. 
They haven't done anything to bring it upon themselves. Personally, I was raised with a family member who suffered from mental illness. And, and as, a, as a child, I remember experiencing things in our home, but I didn't have any way to describe the emotions that I felt as this individual dealt with me, impacted my life. It wouldn't be until I was older that I had a vocabulary and words to understand. It wouldn't be until I was older and, and in some capacity caring for this family member when I would, when I would deal with them then feel those same emotions that I did when I was young. Just like right below the surface. I would feel those emotions. I would leave this person's presence. I would sit in my car. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I would sit there and say, this person is sick. Their brain isn't working right. The things that they're saying and accusing you of are a figment of her imagination. And so I might not ever see a leper, but I saw somebody who didn't do anything to bring this upon her, but she suffered with this mental illness. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. He is our hope. He is the source of life. The story that we're going to consider tonight, or we are considering, is platformed because of the severity of this man's condition. For him, you see, death is certain. The disease ravages the totality of his body. His face, his hair, his hands, his feet, even though he may be able to cover parts of his body with clothing, you can see that he's suffering, that he's in pain. Disease ravages his body until he sees Jesus. Until he sees Jesus. In humility, he comes and he bows to the ground before the Lord. The Lord is in a city, Luke tells us. It doesn't identify the city, but Luke, is, but Luke tells us that Jesus is in the city and he's ministering. And this man breaks the, the law of the day as he comes into the city looking for Jesus. He bows to the ground in humility. His act, the act mirrors temple worship. What we see him doing in the street, what we see him doing publicly, is what we would see many people doing had we been in the temple at that time. He comes near to God. He worships God. His hope is tempered, not sure that he will be received. We see this in his request. You see, our friend knows rejection. He knows long-term isolation, being separated from others. So sure was death that the Jews referred to lepers as the walking dead. It's just a matter of time. They'll be dead. They don't have names anymore. They don't have identities anymore. They don't have a place anymore in society. They are the walking dead. 
And to make things worse, many people believed that the reason that they were suffering from leprosy was because they had sinned and God was judging them. They had done nothing necessarily. They were no different than anyone else except that life took a turn and they became ill. They became sick. So then along with physical suffering, and it was extensive, came social stigma. The law required that a confirmed leper tear his garment, that is his clothing, that is so people around, even if the disease was hidden by clothing, that they would rent or tear their clothing so everybody around them would know. The law also required that they would cover their, the upper lip. It would be, you're familiar with masks for sure, be a form of a mask. So you would see an individual and their clothing would be, would, be, would be torn. They would have something over their mouth and they would cry out if they were close to you. You know this, you're church people, you're Bible people, you know they would cry out unclean. They would be forced to identify themselves in their community, around their people, as being unclean, and listen, with the threat of making others unclean. One of the things that sticks in my mind was that the religious leaders of this time were so concerned with becoming defiled or unclean from a, from a ceremonial standpoint that were told that as they walked through a marketplace, they would grab the edges of their robe, they would pull it tight so that it wouldn't touch anyone else so much so that they separated themselves from the common man. However, greater than the man's condition is Christ's compassion. That's the focus of our story. That's what we see tonight. That's why we came. That's what Mark wants us to see. He wants us to see God's power. For Jesus did for the man what nobody else could do. If the man was dependent upon anyone else, if the man was dependent upon a religious individual or a miracle worker, he would have been disappointed. But when he finds Jesus, his hope is realized. And you know, for some of us that are here tonight, or some of us that are watching online, you have a sense of hopelessness, and the answer to that sense of hopelessness is Christ, is Jesus. And you'll see why in a minute. Mark, Mark also wants us to see that the healing is the result of God's love. You know, at times we may wonder, you know, we're going through a tough time or, or you know, it's, it's just, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe circumstantial, maybe not. And, and although we would never verbalize or say this in front of other Christians, we wonder, does God care about me? God, does God love me. And for the most part, our health is fine. You know, I'm going to get a physical next week, so I know I'm going to step up on the scale. And I'll say, excuse me, I'm going to take my shoes off. I get back up on the scale. Excuse me, let me take my coat off over here. Get back up on the scale. Oh, my glasses are kind of heavy. I get up there one more time say, I had to take my hearing aids off. And the nurse will say something like, buddy, don't take anything else off, please. Please, not now. And then they'll tell me, Mr. Ramos, you need to cut back on the tortillas. 
you need to lose a couple of pounds. All of us enjoy a level of community, that is, family and friends, to some extent. When we spend time alone, it's self-imposed. It might be good to get our heads together. However, with all that we got going for us, we need to know that God loves us, that God cares. And that's what tonight's story reminds us. For us, Jesus healing the leper reminds us that, yes, God does love us. And tonight, along with the leper, we hear Jesus say, I will, that is, I will to cleanse you, be clean. The story uses a hopeless situation to give hope. I want you to remember this tonight. The same way Jesus loves the leper, the same way that he, he, he speaks to him and he receives him, Jesus loves you. In the very same way, Jesus loves you. So we have the Galilean ministry. Jesus heals a leper in verses 40 through 45. I'm going to give you a little background here. Arnold Frutenbaum, a messianic scholar, I'm going to quote him in a minute. He writes that in the Jewish mind, there were two kinds of miracles. You know, miracles were something that they talked about, something that they expected. First, there were general miracles, that is, those that the Spirit of God, when he came upon an individual, they might work. So this would be a general, you know, somebody, you know, they have a special relationship with God, the Spirit of God comes upon them, very different than a believer where the Spirit of God comes within them, but the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they work a special miracle. There's a second kind of miracle. The second was messianic, or miracles that were unique to Messiah. The healing of the leper is the first of the messianic miracles. The miracle was a sign, and we'll see this by the time we get done here, but the miracle was a sign to Israel's priesthood, to those that represented the nation, before, the people before the Lord, that Messiah had come. Think a living witness that Jesus is the anointed one of Israel, the Savior of the world. I want to read a quote. It's going to go up on the screen. This is again by Frutenbaum, where he says, the first messianic miracle was the healing of a leper. From the time the Mosaic law was completed, there was no record of any Jew who had been healed of leprosy. While Miriam was healed of leprosy, this was before the completion of the law. Naaman was healed of leprosy, but he was a Syrian Gentile, not a Jew. So then, from the time the Mosaic law was completed, there was never a case of any Jew being healed of leprosy, listen, until Jesus. Remember, he is a sign. His compassion upon the leper is a sign not only to Israel, but to you tonight. The same God who would go into the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and scatter the sacrificial animals that were being sold is the same God that steps into the lives of the religious leaders and overturns their expectations of what Messiah would be like. We see in verse 40 the man's condition. 
And a leper came to him, that is to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling down, said to him, if you will, that is if you desire, if you want to, Jesus, you can make me clean. Notice, notice faith here. Faith brings the man to Jesus. And obviously you would tell me, well, Danny, he, he doesn't really care what other people think because, well, because he's a leper. He's in the state of hopelessness. Again, Luke's words covered with leprosy. He is but a short time away from dying of the disease. He's driven to Jesus by his desperation. In the same way that I was driven to Jesus as a 22-year-old man by my desperation. The same way that you and I come to Jesus. When we come to the realization that we don't have a, necessarily have a physical disease, listen, we are hopelessly lost in a spiritual disease called sin. And the only one who can help us is Jesus. So broad was a diagnosis that no less than 72 skin diseases were labeled leprosy. We call the worst form of the disease Hansen's disease. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, where it says, in verse 45, the leprous person who has the disease shall uh, wear torn clothing. Again, we said that. And the, the hair on his head will hang loose. That would be a challenge for me, I know. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Outside the camp. Outside the camp separated and away. Close enough to see the camp. Remember, this is when the children of Israel were at the base of Mount Sinai. This is when Moses was receiving the law on the top of the mountain. And, and God was telling Moses that if this disease touches any of the people, they must be removed from the camp. And they must camp at a distance away from the gathering of Israel. But listen, they can still see. They can still hear but they're separated from their brothers and sisters by this disease. Keep that in your mind. They're separated. So one day this man notices an area of skin that was discolored, even bumpy. He, 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 his wife looked at it. Both of them were concerned. Time would confirm their fear. He would then go to the priest who, would, who through examination, quarantine, determined it to be leprosy. Listen to what happened to him. This condition meant separation from his family. He would leave his wife, he would leave his children, he would leave his home, and he would be gone. This meant that whatever he did for a living, and most of the men in this room will understand, I'm sure most of the women as well, you're smarter than we are, that men derive a sense of their identity by what they do and how well they do it. So he says goodbye to his wife, never to touch her again. He says goodbye to his children, never to touch them again. Whatever his career, his trade was, he leaves it aside and he walks out of the community, and he knows that he will never go to synagogue again, he will never ever go to Jerusalem again, he will never ever worship again. 
And as he watches the patch of discolored skin begin to grow, he knows that his life is over. We're told in some writings that there were even rabbis who would, who would heckle lepers. Again, remember the mentality there under the judgment of God. And some even callous religious leaders would throw rocks at them, thinking, listen, thinking that they were doing God's will. Life expectancy for a leper was about 10 years. In the final stages, the disease was accompanied by a stench, a bad smell, the rotting of flesh, missing patches of hair and a swollen face. There isn't a human condition that more accurately portrays sin in the life of a person. Starting out small, growing, controlling. The disease takes away the man's ability to feel pain. And so then he injures himself again and again and again, never knowing it, never feeling the injury, the pain associated, never feeling the blood running down. Infection upon infection, the disease numbs him. Gone is the body's warning system that protects him from injury. So he comes and he speaks to Jesus. This this man there in the street, he comes and and he lifts up his head and he's looking at Jesus. Trust me, the people have spread, spread, you know, have gotten away, put a little distance, social distancing, right? Anyways, you know, he's there and he looks up and he looks at Jesus and he speaks to Jesus. And my friends tonight, that is what we need to do. We need to look at Jesus. We need to look to Jesus, the source of our hope. Let me press pause here. Some of you, some of you know people who you care very much about, and they're like the leper. And their great need is to look to Jesus. But listen to what he says. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. In his mind, to be clean is to be healed. I want you to know tonight as we make our way through this passage that Satan condemns and Jesus forgives. I don't know what your perception is about Christ, but he desires to forgive sin. Satan will be there to point it out. You did this, you did this, you said that, you said that. How can you call yourself a Christian? He comes in to oppress and to suppress, and Jesus lifts you up. Jesus lifts you up. Verse 41, Jesus has compassion. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. This is in response to the man's request. And immediately, that's Mark's favorite word, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. Mark's gospel alone tells us that Jesus was moved with pity. I want you to think that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion for the man in his state. You know, just, again, think of an individual whose life is dominated by sin, And I want you to see Jesus' response to this man as being Jesus' response to that individual. 
Sometimes sin's so much easier to see on somebody else than it is to see on me, but just for a moment. That individual in your life, you think, well, that person can never be saved. You're not reading the story carefully. Or that person is too far gone. And Jesus says that he will. So we see here that Jesus wasn't repulsed by the man. He was moved to help him because he loved him. Notice with me where it says, again, verse 41, that he stretched out his hand and touched him. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. This is more than a touch. And the original language suggests that Jesus moves towards him because the man isn't going to come any closer. The man knows that he can only come so close that he comes close enough for Jesus to hear him. But then Jesus closes the gap and he reaches down and he grabs him. It takes little imagination to imagine that this man had never had anybody speak to him in a very long time. And Jesus communicates to him and then touches him. This is amazing. This is amazing. The other thing is that we know that Jesus is touching him would have unnerved many who were present watching the scene. There's an apologist, his name is Sam Alberry, and he reminds us with these words. Listen to these words. I found them profound. There is always more that's right in Jesus than there is what's wrong in us. There's always more that is right with Jesus than there is what's wrong with us. So then if we see leprosy as a metaphor for sin, then Jesus sees something that is injuring or hurting us, and he offers redemption. He offers freedom from sin's oppression. Up on the screen, it will say, Jesus is willing to forgive our sins. Jesus desires and is willing to forgive our sins. There it is. There it is. Here's the great truth. On the cross, Jesus embraced our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, if anybody hangs out with me very long, I, I usually quote this voice, this verse. So it's the very last verse in, the book, in uh, chapter 5. And Paul's writing, obviously, to the Corinthians. It's the second, second letter. And Paul says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. He who knew no sin, Jesus, for 33 years, lived a sinless life. He who knew no sin, he never sinned. It says that he became sin. Not that he sinned, but that upon the cross, he became sin. Remember what John the Baptist said on the shore, on the banks of the River Jordan? Listen. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he who knew no sin became sin, that while he was on the cross, God the Father took, remember the cup of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Father placed the sin of humanity, your sin and my sin, the sins of the individuals that we see out there that we like to critique, their sins as well, were placed upon Jesus and God judged him from 12 noon to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. There was darkness over the land and Jesus experienced, I don't understand it, separation from the Father, And he cries out, 
The opening verse to Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen. He who knew no sin became sin, that you and I, that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. Danny, what does that mean? I believe that that sinless life that Jesus lived for 33 years, God now sees us through that life because of what Jesus did for us. That he died for every sin you and I would ever commit. He suffered judgment or separation from the Father because he loves you. There was an exchange of his taking our sin, our leprosy, and giving us his wholeness giving us his right standing before the Father. Let me read Alberry's quote again. There is always more that is right in Jesus than there is wrong with us. So then Jesus died for us that we might be healed, healed from sin's power and penalty. Let's go ahead and wrap up here in verses 43 to 45. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and, he, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer you for your cleansing what Moses commanded. That is from the law. Listen to these words at the end of verse 44. For a proof to them, for a proof to them as evidence to them. To whom? To the priest that will examine them. But he went out and began to talk free, freely about it. That is, he went out and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, think the wilderness, and people were coming to him from every corner. It's good, it's good to remember that although Mark is writing the story, Peter was the eyewitness who related the account to Mark. It's not a stretch to imagine that the man rises up and is filled with joy. You can only imagine. You can only think of what he was experiencing. One minute he was, he was, he was covered with this disease. It, was, it had infected every part of his physical body. It had affected him psychologically. It affected him socially. It was his identity. He had no name. He had, no, no, he had nothing. He had no people. He was by himself. He was dying. And in an instant, because of Christ's compassion, he raises up, he looks at his skin, he thanks Jesus, he worships him. Listen, he weeps with gratitude. And verse 43 is very abrupt. As Jesus commands him, there's force here, commands him to tell nobody what, hap not, nobody what happened to him until he had met with, peace, with the priest. Jesus' words here, again, are forceful. and matter of fact, there's a hint of anger. Well, we would wonder why. I'm going to read verse 44 again. He says, show yourself to the priest. That is, allow him to examine you. Allow him to interview you. Allow him to ask you questions. And then you offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Again, for a proof to them or as evidence. Listen, as evidence against them. Evidence against who? Evidence against a priesthood that had already rejected Jesus. 
So the man first was to go to his community and find his priest, and that would, he would have been probably the same priest that had diagnosed his leprosy, and he would show himself, and he would, say, he would tell the priest, I, I, I was healed by Jesus. Now, this never happened. Remember Fruit and Bomb's uh, quote? He said, look at me, I'm healed, I'm healed. Jesus, Jesus healed me. And reluctantly, the priest would have sent him to Jerusalem. He would have taken his money. He would have bought two small pigeons or doves. And then he would have standed in line. He would have made his way to the priest. He would have been examined once again. And then he would have offered the sacrifice. And along the way, each priest asking him, how did this happen? Because remember, again, it never happened. He would have said, Jesus healed me. Listen. In the heart of every priest, not every priest, but the priesthood in general, had already decided that Jesus was not the Messiah. Do you see the conflict here? Do you see why, exam- why him being examined by the priest was so important? And yet you, my friends, and I, as we read the scripture tonight, are examining a healed leper, and Jesus wants to know, will you receive him? Will you Come to Jesus, who is willing to heal you of sin, who is willing to break the domination of a sin practice in your life tonight. If you will come to him, you will be made well. Listen, you will be made well. You will be made whole. Warren Wiersbe says, the ceremony described in Leviticus chapter 14, if you want to read it, which which is great, is another beautiful picture of Christ's work for sinners. One of the birds was slain, it was killed, and it pictures the death of Jesus. Then one, one, the other bird would be released, picturing his resurrection. Putting the bird into the jar that is a clay jar pictures the incarnation, or God taking on human flesh. When Christ took a human body, for the purpose of dying for you and for I. Listen, dying for you and for I and for I, taking sin upon him, taking our leprosy upon him, and giving us his righteousness. The application of the blood to the ear, to the thumb, and to the toe illustrates the need for each person to have personal faith in Christ. You know, I think there's, there may be people who, who are here because of a friend, which is wonderful and good, but again, each leper must come to Christ and be cleansed on their own. Our children must come to Christ. Our spouse must come to Christ. Our dear friends must come to Christ and certainly, without a doubt, be cleansed from their sins and be set free from its judgment. And goes on to say that the man shared with everybody that he engaged, and because of that, Jesus' ministry was hindered, but he was set free. We're going to, uh, well, by, word of, by way of application, got ahead of myself. This week, I want you to think about these things. Think about these things. You are not defined by your current condition. Conditions change. And if you come to Christ, your condition will change, but you're not defined by it. Secondly, Jesus loves to show compassion to the humble, to those who acknowledge their need. Then lastly, 
Other people will see change in our lives and confirm that we've been with Jesus. Other people will see it. Well, not necessarily because we, we talk it, which is fine. Not necessarily because, you know, we put the cross, you know, on the shoulder, which is fine too. It's nice. We get the tattoo. That's fine. I'm not criticizing any of that. Listen, you know what they'll see? They'll watch sin fall from our lives, not because we're perfect or holier than them, but because God's Spirit has taken up residency within us and the desire for sin becomes less and less and less, my friends. Our nature changes. We change. Our nature changes. So this week, think about the fact that you're not defined by your current condition, that Jesus loves to show compassion to those who in humility come to him, and that even other people will see, other people will see that change in our lives, not because we're better, not because we're good, but because God is changing us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.